1: Welcome to Reaching Your Heart. Pastor Michael Oxentanko concludes The Life Giver today. We hope that you've been enjoying this program. Don't forget that you can always go to reachingyourheart.com and download a copy of any of these messages in their entirety without interruption. That's reachingyourheart.com. And today's broadcast, once again, the conclusion to The Life Giver. We appreciate you listening each and every day here on the program. Please listen at the close of our broadcast for some other very important information that I'll pass along to you at that time. Here now is Pastor Mike.
2: Christ's death and resurrection are being mapped out in the storylines that lead us to the theme of life. The three-day movement from the fig tree to the marriage feast at Cana, the the first sign of the movement from the cross, the tree, to the resurrection, the three-day movement from the woman at the well, to the raising up of the ruler's son, was the second sign of the cross and the resurrection. Now, verse 6 says it was the sixth hour when Jesus was there. The sixth hour is very important in the Gospel of John. It's the hour that Jesus was carried out and He was sent out to be crucified. And in that same hour, He said, I thirst. This story we find is a prelude to the cross. It's the foretaste of the fountain of water that would flow from Christ's side when the Roman spear would pierce His side and blood and water would flow out. And so the life giver takes His place at the well of drunkenness. The very one who be opened up to be the well of life for the world is right there in a prophetic foretaste of what will happen at the cross in the form of a thirsty and travel-worn stranger in a faith-forsaken land. He is the well of life. John 4, verse 7 continues the story there came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. Now, I have noticed something in the life of Jesus. Christ will either make a request or ask a question rather than pounding a point into someone's life. And so He asks a simple courtesy of a woman in which it was the custom of Jews to thoroughly ignore. He says, Give me a drink for His disciples had gone away in the city to buy food. In, in John 4.6, John records that Jesus was wearied when He sat down at the well. Remember, it's the sixth hour and Jesus says, Give me a drink. When Christ came to the cross, He was weary with my sins and yours. At the sixth hour, He cried out from the cross, I thirst. And what is the thirst of Jesus in the context of John 4? Friend, it's not the thirst for water. It's the thirst for a lonely, and lost soul who cannot find her way to God unless God comes to her with life. John 4.9 The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink... You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? This is perhaps the most important question you can ask in your life. It's a lot more important than trying to have a philosophical construct for existence. Friend, the question here is the salient one Where do you get this living water? I mean, that's practical and profound. Look at verse 13, John 4. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. Now, he's speaking there of the water of Jacob's well. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him, he will never thirst. The water that I shall give him will become in him a spring of water welling up into eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. Notice what she does not say. In verse 14, Christ offers her the water as a gift, the life of God in the Holy Spirit. That's what the water symbolizes. It comes from Jesus as a gift. Think about it. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. You can't barter for it. You can't bargain with God to get it. It comes as a gift. And that also means you cannot manipulate God into giving it to you. Christ said, whoever drinks of this water that I shall give him will never thirst. She said, Sir. Now look how long it takes her to respond. Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. I mean, what kind of response must the heart have for an offer like that? An instant one of faith, an instant one of desire. Give me the gift, sir. She stood right there at Jacob's well. The land was a special spot to the Samaritans. It was a sacred spot. Despised by the Jews, they found their link to Jacob right there at that well. It was an anchor point for their self importance. They came to that well to get water. It was a sign that even if the Jews had rejected them, somehow Jacob hadn't. And somehow they had a link to Father Abraham. It was the well at Shechem on the piece of land that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. It was more than just the site for a well. It was the place they buried Joseph's bones. It was a dead spot too. Joshua 24.32, we find this insight. The bones of Joseph, which the people of Israel brought up from Egypt, were buried at Shechem. In the portion of the ground which Jacob bought from the sons of Hamar, the father of Shechem, for a hundred pieces of money, it became an inheritance of the descendants of Joseph. The book of Genesis begins with life Adam was made to live forever. He sinned. And it ends with a dead man's bones in Egypt. It starts with the creation of Adam and it ends with the death and mummification of Joseph. Genesis 50, 24-26 It essentially says, Joseph made them swear an oath that they would take his bones and they would take them back and they would not leave them in Egypt. And so where did they go? They went right there to the vicinity, right where Jacob's well was at. So Jesus sat down that day at a well that was near the place they buried Joseph's bones. Friend, it's possible to come to a place that offers life and discover that there's only death there. It's possible to rely on the past and your heritage, your tradition, And for the past to be nothing more than a dead man's bones that comes from Egypt, she had come all her life to that well for water and meaning." to get away from the jeers and the criticisms of others. It was her quiet spot. Why did she come in the heat of the day? In those days, people didn't come to the well to draw water in the heat of the day. They came in the cool of the day, be it morning or evening, but not in the heat of the day. She was there because she was ashamed. She was there because she was tired of hearing other people put her down. She was there because she wanted to be alone. She had come all her life to that well for water, and somehow she needed a different kind of well deep within. She left... Thirsty every time, and she felt the need for a deeper draft than this. Where do you go to drink when the well is old and obsolete, and all there is for you is death and bones in the air? Jacob's well and Joseph's bones can't save you and give you life. She said, I don't want to come here anymore to draw water. Sir, where do you get that living water? I need a new place. I need a new well. Where do you get that living water? At this point, Jesus makes a request of her. John 4.16 Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You're right in saying I have no husband. For you've had five husbands. And he whom you now have is not your husband. This you said truly. Now I couldn't get by with that. But Jesus was pretty direct, wasn't he? The Greek word here translate "husband" can mean a man or a husband. When she says, "I have no husband," Jesus isn't contradicting her at all. He's simply saying, "You've had five men, and none of these men are your husband, and you're still living in sin with one of them." That's what he's saying. Jesus knows her life without anyone telling him a single thing. He can read her like an open book. And he looks deep inside and he sees the hole that only he can fill. He sees the need for life. The same is true for all of us, is it not? If we're honest with ourselves, we don't play the role of hero in the church. Like somehow we're God's gift to the church. We're not. Friend, Jesus knows the darkest chapter in your life. He knows that sin that bothers you. That you've confessed and the memory of it bothers you. And friend, he knows that he can wash it away and give you the abundant life in its place. And he knows your life like an open book. Good and bad. If you don't run from him, it's a good thing for him to interact with you. John 4.19, the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Well, how could he figure that out? He knew. Now she's doing the Nicodemus thing. Nicodemus told Jesus that he was a teacher sent from God. This we affirm, he said. Like Nicodemus, she shifts to a discussion of theology instead of heartfelt interaction of self-reflection concerning her need for life. She moves to ideas instead of the sins of her own life. She moves away from her problem to a theological problem or question that is external to her real need deep within, that is internal. Christ will for a time go with her, but He'll bring her back to where she needs to go. John 4.20 Our Father, she says... Worshipped on this mountain. Now, she pointed to Mount Gerizim, in that particular place where Jesus was at. You could see the ruins of that counterfeit temple that was built by the Samaritans to rival the Temple of Jerusalem. It had been reduced to ruins at the time that Christ was there. And you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship? Now, Christ didn't say anything like that at all. When you read the storyline, she's putting words in his mouth. He didn't draw her attention to the ruins of the Samaritan temple and plain view on Mount Gerizim there. Now it's interesting, in the Torah, the Law of Moses, that was the very mountain that the blessing was given for the Jewish people. So there's a paradox about that mountain. But he talked about living water. He wasn't talking about where you should worship or not. And all the Jews... All they ever talked about was how pretty their temple was and how awful was the Samaritan temple. So she was moving into the discussion point at the time. Her temple was on Mount Gerizim in ruins, and Jesus' temple was on Mount Moriah in Jerusalem in splendor and beauty. Which is the right place to go to church was the question. She shifts concern to the place you ought to worship instead of the person you should worship and surrender to. And we do it too, don't we? We talk about which church has the prettiest building, which has the best program. Friend, God could care less about that. He's most concerned about you. He wants your life in Christ, and so she is timeless in her assumptions here, Representative of us all. John four twenty one. Jesus said to her, "Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know, and that's another way of saying you don't have a clue, lady." That's what he's saying. You worship what you don't even know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. So he doesn't deny the fact that the Jewish nation was the repository for truth, for the Scriptures, for the very line that would bring us salvation. No, he doesn't deny that. But he says this in verse 23, the hour is coming. Now this is an apocalyptic, this is a prophetic statement here. The hour is coming. And now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for such the Father seeks to worship Him. He's saying it won't matter in the future which temple you have. None of them will matter because the ground will shift and the temple in Jerusalem will be no more better than the one you see in ruins on the top of Mount Gerizim. Why? God is spirit, verse 24, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. She asked Jesus for living water so she would not have to go there anymore to drink. She was looking for a different place to find life. And when Jesus told her the truth about herself, she changed the subject to something else. And so Jesus comes right back to the truth. Lady, you need the spirit of truth, not the right place. It's at this point a breakthrough happens inside her head. I mean, it isn't easy. Christ is working a pathway right to her heart She recognizes right then and there that the truth is not a place. The truth isn't a nation. The truth is a person. The truth is not a national identity. It's a personal relationship with the one who it is life to know. Truth is the desire of nations that every person needs deep inside the heart. Truth is Him. He is truth The Messiah, John 4.25, the woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming. He was called Christ. And when He comes, He'll show us all things. Now how did she know that? The Samaritans only accepted the Torah of Moses, the first five books of the Bible. There's not one word used like that in their Bible. The word Messiah does not appear there. There's a direct contrast between what this woman says to Jesus and what Nicodemus said to Jesus. Jesus. Nicodemus was a teacher of the Jews. She was an ignorant Samaritan. Not really. Not really. Not really equipped to teach, but she wasn't really ignorant either. John 3, 2. This man came to Jesus by night and said to Him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. She spoke in direct contrast to Nicodemus. Nicodemus says, we know you're a teacher. She says, I know that Messiah is coming. She knew more than Nicodemus, who was a teacher of the Jews. She was looking for more than a teacher from God. She was looking for the Messiah and the Savior of the world. In the Dead Sea Scrolls, there was a document found called the Damascus Document. This document was written 200 years before this encounter right here at Jacob's Well. This document was written by a community of Jewish believers who were seeking living water in the land of Samaria. They left their land for Samaria. In the Zadokite documents here described, it was written that these believers in time would quote, they entered a new covenant in the land of Damascus, but turned back and became traitors and strayed from the well of living water. This sect of Jewish believers hoped to establish a new covenant in the land of Samaria. A covenant without sinners. A covenant without compromising Jews. And most of all, most important, a covenant without foreigners like those Samaritans. They believed that the New Covenant demanded that they must separate from everything and everyone who was unclean. In their zeal to find God, they broke the link of love that made them debtors to a world that needed to know the love of God. They especially despised the Samaritans. At the bottom of the barrel of humanity, there was a hole. And beneath the hole, the Samaritans had fallen all the way to hell as far as they were concerned. There was no deeper spot of oblivion than the Samaritans. So Nicodemus said, we know that you are a teacher sent from God. But notice the contrast. She really says something. I know that Messiah is coming. The Messiah means the anointed one. Anointed with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the water. The Messiah has things to give. He's the one who will teach. He's the one who will give living water. He's the one who will give the Holy Spirit to His people because He's the anointed one. In the Damascus document of the Dead Sea Scrolls, it was predicted that one day a teacher of righteousness would arise in the land of Samaria who would unlock the secret of living water. I'm quoting from the Dead Sea Scrolls, the well is the law. And those who dug it were converts to Israel who went out of the land of Judah to sojourn in the land of Damascus. God called them princes because they sought Him. They shall find nothing until He comes who shall teach righteousness at the end of days. She said, listen, I know Messiah is coming and He will teach us all things. She was looking for the teacher at the end of days who would come, who would be the Messiah. In her discourse with Jesus, she calls the coming one the Messiah. This term is found in the prophecies of the book of Daniel that predicted the Messiah, that He would come at the end of a time prophecy. She had reached into those Jewish scriptures looking for the Savior of the world. Christ said to her, The time is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, He was referring to the time prophecy, the 70 weeks, the 490-year time prophecy of Daniel 9, which predicted the end of the Jewish temple, the end of Jerusalem, and the beginning of a new experience with God that is most holy in comparison to the old, which is only holy. The end of sin and a new pathway to God. Christ is directly referring to that prophecy in His interaction with this woman. Yeah, 924, 70 weeks have been decreed for your people in your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, to make atonement for iniquity. And the Hebrew means all iniquity. To bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Jerusalem's days were numbered, according to Daniel. And Christ says the time is coming now is when the true worshipers will no longer worship in Jerusalem but in spirit and truth. Both temples would no longer matter. And Daniel 9.25, So you are now to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and to rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. Now A day is a year in prophecy, seven times seven, seven weeks, 49 years. The decree was in the autumn of 457 B.C. That brings us to 408 B.C., 62 weeks, 434 years, brings us to A.D. 27 with no year zero in the reckoning. And so that was the very year that Christ was baptized and declared to be Messiah by the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And so the time was right for the life giver to give her life. He had come to the well that was near a dead man's bones to make her alive again. At this point, Jesus speaks without metaphor, with plain meaning. John 4.26 Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. There's drama here. Clear truth and drama. And so she left her jar at the well near a dead man's bones and the temple that lay in ruins, the place that had been the source of all her identity. And she went into the city telling everyone she could, that she had met a man who was more than a man. John 4.28, So the woman left her water jar and went away in the city and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And that's the Greek word for Messiah. When they got there, they heard for themselves what Jesus had to say. No barrier between Him and them. John 4.39, Many Samaritans from that city believed in Him. Now here we have... The connection between John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish. And then the introduction of the story in John 3.36 whoever believes the Son has life. And here we find them believing the Son. What does that mean? It means these Samaritans have life now. They have moved from death to life by this interaction at the well and through the woman that is the most unnatural source of revelation. Many Samaritans in that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. And she said, He told me all that I ever did. Now that has soap opera effect here. They were jabbering about that. That's why she was at the well at noon. He told me all the secrets you've been trying to figure out in the gossip chambers of Sychar. He knows it all. And they wanted to know it all too. So when the Samaritans came to him and they asked him to stay with them and he stayed there two days and many more believed because of His word. And they said to the woman, It is no longer because of your words that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Friend, Jesus came to give us life, and that life is in His Son. The person who has the Son of God has life. The person who does not have Jesus will never see life. Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Christ came that day in the heat of the day to a well so that a despised and rejected woman could receive the life and have it more abundantly. And He's come to our lives. He's come for us for the very same reason. Christ is not content that you live a life without purpose, that your life be nothing but an endless round of duty. Friend, Christ has come to save you and to give you the well within. And why would He do this for her and why would He do it for you? Why? Because God so loved the world that He gave the life-giver, His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The abundant life that never ends. The abundant life that became for her a well within. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray today, as we end this service, that we will not end our connection to you in any way. And Lord, I pause in this prayer, because I believe there are folk here who are struggling with faith and commitment to Jesus. And Lord, as every head is bowed, and every heart looks to you, they hear your voice speaking to them right now. They know that Jesus died on that cross for them. He came to give them life. And yet they feel they're not worthy, or they somehow just can't get it, or somehow they're not meant for it. Lord, this is the devil's talk in their life. So I ask right now in the name of Jesus that you will speak to them through the Holy Spirit. Father, as every head is bowed, if you're that person and you want to live forever, and you want Jesus... You want Him to know right now that you believe that you are saying like the woman at the well, give me this water that I may not come here anymore to drink. That there might be a well within. If you're that person and you want eternal life right now, just raise your hand to God and say, that's me, Father. Now you keep that hand high if you're also saying, I believe. Help thou whatever unbelief I have. I believe. Strengthen my faith. And give me, Jesus. Father, as those prayers have been prayed, then the heart that is reached out to you, give them, Jesus. And Lord, may give them well water that keeps coming up as they study the word of God and grow in grace. Grow in grace, in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Well, amen. And that will conclude The Life Giver, today's Reaching Your Heart. You can go to reachingyourheart.com right now and download the entire message. We were only able to bring you the second portion of this broadcast due to our time constraints. But it's available for you, again, at reachingyourheart.com. Please stop by the worship service this Saturday at 11 o'clock. The new address is 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. That again is 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. And if you would like more information, you can go to the website reachingyourheart.com. Thanks for listening. And as always, we pray that God is reaching your heart.